Welcome to episode two of Foreign Affairs on the Fleming Foundation. I'm honored to have as our regular guest for this program, Dr. Thomas Fleming and Dr. Sergio Trifkovich, who are here to talk about, as usual, foreign affairs. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Well, it's great to be here again. And it's my pleasure to announce that in Belgrade, it's a lovely spring day after uh, the drab period of uh, drizzly rain. Speaking of Belgrade, uh, of course, uh, there uh, Serbia has been in the news. Well, uh, Ser- Serbian lands have been in the news lately uh, for two uh, war crimes trials, one of which, uh, what was that, yesterday that Mr. Cheshire was acquitted, and then last week that uh, Radovan Karadzic was sentenced to 40 years, which for a 70-year-old man is, of course, a life sentence. Um, let's, let's start with the, uh, the Karadzic trial. What's going on in Europe today? Why, why, what was he accused of and why was he convicted, Sergio? Uh, he was convicted uh, almost inevitably on the grounds of command responsibility because in the trial of General Krstic, uh, uh, in uh, 2001, it was established that uh, uh, the massacre in Srebrenica was a genocide. Now, I've discussed the problem of this verdict on the pages of, in the pages of Chronicles before. Uh, it is indeed remarkable that the term genocide was applied to undoubtedly a war crime, uh, the massacre of uh, uh, Muslim soldiers who were taken prisoner in Srebrenica in July of 1995, but it's a separate issue. The problem with the Hague Tribunal is that on the basis of uh, command responsibility and of a category novel to international justice, uh, joint criminal enterprise, it is inevitable that uh, people at the top of a hierarchy will be held responsible almost by default for whatever is done by people lower down the scale. In Shashi's case, uh, there was no question of command responsibility because he didn't command any units. But I also have a sneaky suspicion that uh, uh, the way in which The Hague uh, pronounced him not guilty only a week after the extremely dubious and politicized verdict against Karadzic, indicates the desire to, shall we say, re-legitimize the tribunal, particularly in the perception of uh, uh, Balkan actors, and to use uh, Shesh's exoneration as a retroactive uh, trump card to prove that it is indeed an objective tribunal, which, of course, uh, also pronounced uh, uh, Croatian General Gotovina innocent of war crimes in Ukraine, the greatest example of ethnic after 1945. But uh, since we are dealing with a deeply politicized institution, I have no doubt that uh, it was in the back of uh, the tribunal's panel uh, that uh, this particular verdict uh, concerning Shashil will be used to justify the one against Karadzic. Tell us a little, what, what, why it was the international community, uh, and I u- use that term in quotation marks, 
Why were they so angry from the beginning with Karadzic and his regime? I mean, what is what is his great crime? Other sort of ethnic breakaway movements often are described as freedom fighters and liberation movements, as we see the so-called uh, Syrian liberals today. And so what, 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 what was so wrong, what was so criminal about the uh, attempt of Serbs in Bosnia to free themselves from uh, the, uh, the new government of Bosnia that was being set up? Uh, already in uh, uh, 1992, in the waning days of uh, the administration of Bush Sr., we had the acting Secretary of State and former Ambassador to Belgrade, Lawrence Siegelberger, answer that question in part when he said that uh, in Bosnia, the United States will show to the, uh, the Islamic world as a whole that it is not anti-Muslim. And uh, similar statements have come from various sources over the years, including the late Tom Lantos, then uh, head of uh, uh, the Foreign Relations Committee of, of uh, the House of Representatives, saying that uh, he hopes the Islamic world will take note of the way in which the United States have supported Muslims in Bosnia and Muslims in Kosovo, and uh, something similar came from uh, uh, from Nicholas Burns, then Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, after the proclamation of Kosovo's independence, which the United States was quick to recognize. So one part of uh, uh, the orientation of U.S. policy was due to the need to earn a few brownie points for what was rightly regarded in the Muslim world as wholesale commitment to uh, uh, the cause of Israel. Uh, another element, I think, was due to uh, the audience, odiousness of uh, the regime of Slobodan Milosevic, which was unable to present the Serbian case, to put it in shorthand, in the way that would uh, uh, sound convincing and credible. In fact, his relationship with the Bosnian Serb leadership was always rather tense. And in the end, he was perfectly prepared to sell them down the river, as we've seen in uh, the summer of 95 and later on during the ne negotiations in Dayton. And Milosevic regarded the Bosnian Serbs as a potential threat to his own power in Belgrade. And uh, his rapport with Karadzic was uh, never that of genuine allies united in the same cause, for the simple reason that Karadzic was and is a Serbian nationalist and Slobodan Milosevic was not. Last but not least, I think that uh, in uh, the media establishment of the Western world, this uh, ideal of a multi-ethnic, multicultural and multi-confessional society that Bosnia was supposed to be which of course it never was in reality, uh, corresponded to an ideological commitment to project similar constructs into the past. For instance, Al-Andalus, uh, this glorious uh, convivencia in medieval Spain. And uh, even though Bosnia-Herzegovina was a microcosm of Yugoslavia, uh, the causes of Yugoslav, disintegration were, were supposed to stop 
within the framework of Bosnia. And so the Serbs were seen as the disruptive element in this equation who rejected multiculturalism in favor of old-fashioned and pernicious nationalism. Now, of course, Aliezer Begovic, uh, who was a deeply committed Islamist ideologue, as we know from his Islamic declaration, was at the same time presented as the champion of multiculturalism and someone who wanted a non-confessional Bosnia in which each citizen would enjoy equal rights and uh, which would transcend the sort of uh, uh, national and religious divisions that doomed Yugoslavia as a whole. Uh, this construct was absurd. Ali Zedbegovic, as we now know, had a very clear agenda, and it was to have the Bosnian state in which the Muslims would be dominant by virtue of their numbers, and the refusal of the Bosnian Serbs to be dragged into that uh, newly fangled state is as legitimate as, and as understandable as the striving of the Croats, for that matter, to have their own state. But this was denied by the international community, quote-unquote, on the grounds that, in fact, Bosnia was the only chance for the affirmation of multiculturalism in this postmodern sense, quite apart from the realities on the ground. So we're dealing in a way, I mean, there's, a, there's a sort of liberal picture that you could see in U.S. foreign policy. Whatever, whatever regime we're dealing with, there are always the, uh, the moderates. So, for example, dealing with uh, communist Cambodia, Pol Pot becomes the bad guy, but then there are moderate ext- you know, uh, followers of Pol Pot in his regime, and we can deal with them the way we dealt with moderates in the Kremlin. So uh, Bosnia and Izetbegovic are Islamicist moderates that with whom we can score points and help the Muslim regime. It's the it's the the, the State Department's ongoing fantasy. I, my question is, do they really ever believe it? Well, the problem is that, uh, uh, in fact, some of them probably do believe that. If it was simply a cynical exercise in real politique, then you could at least argue the case with those people. And uh, maybe they could change their policies in accordance with the new realities. But as we've seen with this constant attempt to find user-friendly jihadists, which doomed Ambassador Stevens in Benghazi in September of 2012, and uh, also the so-called moderates among the Syrian opposition, uh, we have truly blinkered view, uh, worldview of uh, the liberal establishment who do not allow mere reality to get in the way of uh, their strategic vision. So the uh, in the case of Bosnia, I mean, you you spent time there, and of course you uh, you knew Karadzic and you knew the rest of the the leaders of his regime. I toured the you know with just friends, and I went to some military units, and everywhere I went, I heard stories of Bosnian Muslim atrocities against both uh, Serbian and Croatian civilians, against women and children, grotesque tortures, uh, mistreatment of prisoners, and uh, somehow that 
either that was a total lie and a total fantasy, or else it's something which uh, the Western media has not covered. Which which is it? Uh, I think you know the answer. For instance, when we talk about Srebrenica, even though it was nominally a demilitarized uh, UN-protected zone, one whole division of the Bosnian Muslim army, the 28th, commanded by the notorious uh, 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 (laughs) strongman of Srebrenica, Nasir Oric, staged a number of massacres in the surrounding area of the Drina Valley before July of 1995, so that there was an awful awful lot of bad blood between uh, the Muslim garrison in in Srebrenica and the surrounding Serbian villages, and uh, there was a lot of unfortunate score settling that followed when Srebrenica unexpectedly capitulated in July of uh, 1995. However, uh, both at uh, uh, the Hague Tribunal and in the media discourse, what happened in the area surrounding Srebrenica in the years before 1995 is never mentioned. Uh, It was, in fact, a three-cornered war, very much reminiscent of what happened between 1941 and 45, in which no side uh, can be treated as... uh, shall we say, innocent of the usual Balkan way of doing things. There had been crimes against civilians and ethnic cleansing on all sides. Mostar, which was one-third Serbian and which is now mostly controlled by Croats, has about 400 Serbs left. Likewise, in Banja Luka, there are very few Muslims left. And, of course, in Sarajevo, which was the second largest Serbian city, after Belgrade, there are hardly any left. Uh, what we've seen in Bosnia-Herzegovina is, in fact, uh, a logical extension of the process of Yugoslavia's disintegration, which began in uh, the years following Tito's death. And it had always been very difficult to imagine Bosnia-Herzegovina staying together when the same dynamics of centrifugal pressures were present to the nth degree. Uh, It exists today as an internationally recognized state, but it is an artificial state which, without external uh, propping up, without the role of the so-called high representative and all of the billions of dollars that went into reconstruction, certainly wouldn't exist today. Because at this moment, and I only returned from Banja Luka, from Republika Srpska a couple of hours ago, Uh, There are simply no dynamics for the preservation of a joint Bosnian state or Bosnian society. Bosnia, Bosnia Herzegovina is really a, it's a a prophetic experience because it points to a large extent to what Europe is undergoing now. That is, of course, the the Muslims had been there for several hundred years uh, having been converted by the Turks in, in Bosnia. But the, the beginnings, at the beginnings of the war, there were terrorist incidents, there were uh, massive claims of, uh, controlling the whole territory, the imposition of Sharia law, and it, it gives us a foretaste of what we might expect if, uh, if, we ha- if there becomes a significant Islamic 
minority in countries like uh, Germany and France and Scandinavia. And unfortunately, we can also expect the same kind of uh, discourse by the political and media class. No matter what happens in Paris or Brussels or before that uh, on suburban railway in Madrid or London Underground, there will be a constant attempt to, one, claim that this is not truly Islamic, that this is in some mysterious way an aberration by a terrorist-minded minority which does not reflect either the teaching or uh, the, the will of the majority of that community, and two, morbid soul-searching and self-examination constantly trying to find fault with one's own side and uh, to seek or advocate greater uh, concessions to the Muslim minority in order to appease it. And uh, so you will always find comments such as underprivileged neighborhoods with, with high unemployment and young people who are alienated because they feel discriminated against. And this discourse is now so deeply entrenched that uh, I really don't know what would need to happen for it to change and for a serious examination of the dynamics of Muslim communities coming into play. For instance, they behave in exactly the same way no matter where you are. If you look at the Turks in Germany, if you look at the Moroccans in Holland, or Algerians in France, or Pakistanis in England, even though they come from very different societies with very different uh, racial and cultural backgrounds, they behave in a remarkably similar way. They form com uh, compact communities uh, which effectively become no-go areas for law enforcement. This has happened in France where you have over 700 these, as they euphemistically call them, areas of great sensitivity, or in, for instance in Leicester and Bradford in England, or in the suburbs of Berlin and Stuttgart in Germany. What happens in those communities is de facto uh, sense of not only cultural but also legal uh, autonomy vis-a-vis -vis the majority society and the tendency to make everybody conform so that even uh, Algerian girls or rather French-born girls of uh, Algerian background are forced to wear hijab or otherwise they will get what is sarcastically called a smile, a cut on the face from the edge of the lip to the earlobe. And you will have uh, examples such as uh, demands for pork-free menus in German schools or the ban on the sale of wine in uh, self-run Muslim neighborhoods in France. Or for that matter, in Britain you, uh, you can have uh, constant long-term abuse of English girls by Pakistani immigrants to which the police turns a blind eye. Yes, I wish you were talking about uh, future uh, potential problems. You're obviously describing reality, such as the ban on ser serving pork in uh, in German schools and and uh, all the rest of it. This isn't speculation about what might happen. This is this is what is happening. 
Exactly. And uh, what we can expect is an acceleration of this process with the irrational, I must call it fanaticism, of Angela Merkel, who even after all that has come to pass, including the horrors in Cologne on New Year's Eve, refuses to set an upper limit on the number of migrants, uh, so-called refugees, accepted into Germany. But then she insists that other member countries of the European Union should be forced to accept quotas uh, for resettlement. So on the one hand, without consulting anyone, including other parties in her own coalition, she announces the open door policy. And then on the other, she wants to use the European Union, of which, of course, Germany is the most dominant member, to impose quotas which at the moment are resisted only by former Soviet bloc countries in the EU, particularly the Visegrad Four, Poland, the Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, and uh, above all, Hungary, where Prime Minister Viktor Orban has announced that he will not accept any quotas come what may. Yes, just the past day or two, there have been uh, there's a, a growth on the uh, border of the former uh, Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, where uh, they, they've the, the border has been sealed. So there's this up of uh, of migrant pressure, and uh, it's a, it's an explosive situation created largely by Merkel. Uh, the rebellion against Merkel has not uh, materialized so far, and I think this is an illustration of the extent to which Germany has been neutered through the process of decades of uh, indoctrination which had the objective of instilling the sense of collective guilt for the crimes of 1939-45, so that anyone trying to assert the basic uh, principle of Germany for the Germans would be regarded as extreme nationalist. This is not present yeah. to the same extent in France, where you have Marine Le Pen, or in, uh, uh, in Holland with Geert Wilders. But even in those societies, you will see the establishments uh, pulling their ranks, as happened with the second round of local elections in France, where both Sarkozy and Hollande uh, agreed to field only one party's candidates in order to ensure that Front National does not get any councillors elected. And I think this will be replicated at uh, the national level too. In other words, when it comes to uh, the danger of reaffirmation of nationhood and reaffirmation of sovereignty, Ironically enough, it is the former communist countries of Central and Eastern Europe uh, that seem to have preserved the sense of identity and the sense of body politic to a much greater extent than the liberal Western societies of Europe's old core. It's sort of like uh, if you want to see uh, historic old uh, classic automobiles who go to Cuba Communism was so ineffe such an ineffective method of government that uh, it preserved old cars. And similarly, uh, communist oppression 
of countries in Eastern Europe has to some extent, you know, solidified some very ancient traditions which people had to rely on if they were going to survive like Hungary. <laughs> uh, one way of putting it is that uh, uh, the communist suppression was Pavlovian. You, you had uh, people who conformed to the rules but who didn't really believe in the ideological context. So that after a couple of vodkas, even a reliable party member in Moscow could talk openly about real issues and uh, uh, laugh at uh, the editorials in the Pravda. On the other hand, the indoctrination of uh, the Western uh, intellectuals was Freudian. Uh, it was aimed at uh, sublimated messages which are internalized so that people don't even realize that they're actually being manipulated. So that perfectly decent uh, and uh, otherwise uh, intelligent, educated people in uh, the salons of Paris simply dare not talk about the reality of, of the French situation today unless they have broken uh, the shackles and uh, are prepared to think in terms of Jean Raspail's legacy because his Camp of the Saints, let's not forget, was written full 40 years ago, yes. but, uh, his, but his predictions are now coming to pass. The, uh, you, know, you referred uh, a few minutes ago to this program of denazification in Europe, and of course, uh, denazification really, in this case, means means institutionalizing leftist revolution in the minds of the German people through self-hatred. In the States, where sometimes there's, you know, the developing uh, a, a kind of Nazification movement here, and uh, one of the one of the flags that fly is uh, white privilege. So in the military, in colleges, in various colleges, they have indoctrinated is to teach white children to be ashamed of their and their history. And, and uh, I, I would have found, even five years ago, one would have thought this was extraordinary. This was beyond the, be, well beyond the pale of anything that could possibly happen for the foreseeable future of the United States. And now this is everyday reality, the mentality of denazification. Our history, our history as Americans, as Anglo-Americans, as uh, European-Americans, we, we have to expiate the guilt for uh, centuries of do being dominant and exploiting other countries. And the people want to know, why, is, why would anybody vote for a buffoon like Donald Trump? And the answer is, in an ideological regime that is trying to tell you that all were evil, then even Trump looks awfully good. Uh, the phenomenon you're describing has a lot to do with... Uh, uh, the development of cultural Marxist uh, theory of society. Uh, classical Marxism had the proletarian, who had nothing to lose but his chains, and the capitalist as the engine of this dialectical process. But today, the proletarian has been replaced by uh, the underprivileged minorities, whether it be women or gays or immigrants or 
people of color, and the capitalist has morphed into white heterosexual uh, Christian male. So uh, that's why we have this remarkable similarity of public discourse on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean, because the ideological context is effectively the same. The, um, my uh, interview a good deal, uh, Umberto Bossi, the creator of the Lega Nord, the Northern Lega, used to say that the, reg- the regime in Italy had to import aliens, non-European immigrants, because and they were so dependent upon the state that that the that government naturally had to had to grow very rapidly and this the power and this is a somewhat uh, Machiavellian and perhaps too pragmatic an analysis it's certainly right but the part he missed is uh, something I think you were pointing to earlier is that way down this is what not only the members of the Democratic Party and, and uh, socialist parties in Europe uh, believe, but it's also more or less what Republican conservatives believe. They're uneasy with it. They don't like it. They think things are going much too fast, but they live in the same country. They breathe the same air. They watch the same TV shows. They've been to the same schools, and way down deep, they feel quite guilty. And uh, this guilt is, is a, it's, it's a cycle, it's an abnormal psychology that we, that we have to study if, if we're going to ha- ever have any hope of it. Uh, having spent a lot of time in Spain in recent years, I would like to draw the parallel with something interesting that's going on there. And uh, it is present both among Uh, the supporters of uh, the Republican equivalent, Partido Popular, and among the socialists, the equivalent of Democrats. And it is this uh, myth of the Islamic golden age uh, and uh, the notion that somehow Spain should feel guilty for expelling its Muslims and that uh, the presence of uh, a multi-million Muslim diaspora, which now exceeds about two and a half million people are estimated to have settled in Spain, mostly from Morocco, is in some funny way the debt that is owed to the, the descendants of the Moors who were expelled by Ferdinand and Isabella at the end of uh, the six, uh, 15th and the beginning of the 16th century. Furthermore, Uh, Just as the descendants of the Jews expelled from Spain at that time now qualify for Spanish citizens, there is a demand by the leaders of the Muslim community in Spain that uh, far more numerous alleged descendants of the Moors expelled from Spain should be allowed to return from their five centuries of exile to their rightful abode in Andalusia. Yes. Wait till, wait, till, wait till certain people, leaving uh, house keys in hand, take up their rightful abode uh, in Israel. Or we may hear a different tune being sung. Uh, that is not uh, going to happen because uh, that is one country in the world for which a qualitatively different rules of the game and discourse apply. In other words, if uh, uh, the Israeli immigration policy were 
acceptable to the Western elites, then we wouldn't have the problem of Islamic terrorism. If there is no Muslim diaspora, there is no Muslim terrorism. You don't see carnages on uh, uh, the streets of Bratislava or attacks on suburban trains in Warsaw. But uh, unfortunately, what is source for the goose is not source for the gander, or rather, uh, I don't want to uh, invoke another one about Jove and Ox. The, um, I, I uh, sometimes in wonder if we could make uh, Bibi Netanyahu president of the United States, at least if he, if he, if he took on our cause with the single-minded fanatical zeal he has taken on defending the interests of Israel, uh, we'd be in a, a rather better shape than we are. Uh, however, Israel also suffers from the problem of liberal rot, because if you look at uh, uh, the young Israelis who subscribe to Western postmodernia, they're leaving the country in droves. Uh, for the past few years, emigration has exceeded immigration, and uh, this discrepancy is embodied in the difference between Tel Aviv, leftist, liberal, secular, and uh, Jerusalem, which is staunch, conservative, and religious. And uh, uh, the problem that Israel faces in the long term is that uh, birth rates among secular liberal Israelis are very low. Uh, reflecting the trend throughout uh, the postmodern West, while uh, uh, the conservative and orthodox and ultra-orthodox Jews are procreating. Now, because of the difference in birth rates already now between uh, River Jordan and the Mediterranean, looking at both Israel and the West Bank and Gaza Strip together, Arabs outnumber Israelis. And the ability of Israel to uh, survive ad infinitum as a fortress surrounded by hostile and uh, in the long term implacably uh, hostile enemies, together with the birth rate of Israeli Arabs, who jumped from 17% at the time of Israel's founding to about 23-24% today, will also be, uh, will not be sustainable. I remember when we made this argument to uh, a, 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 an Israeli policy advisor for Likud, a, your friend Efra, he sarcastically, this was in Tel Aviv, he sarcastically replied, if we can, if we can make, uh, turn Ethiopians into Jews, we can turn anybody into a Jew. <laughs> uh, we are looking at a very small community which even after 30 years has not fully integrated into Israeli society yeah, and no, no, which, is looked, uh, which is looked upon, uh, upon with suspicion by conservative Jews. But uh, as it happens, I think they've simply run out of potential immigrants and uh, many Russian Jews who emigrated in uh, uh, the 90s after the collapse of communism are ironically enough returning for, to Russia because they feel safer and they see many economic opportunities which were not present 20 or 25 years ago. Yeah, indeed. Now, in um, to, go, to go back to sort of what we began talking about, uh, the, it would seem that in a, in a world where there were sane people in positions of government, 
see, that to, ha- to have within a matter of days the conviction on war on charges of war crimes, the conviction of someone who tried to preserve independence of his people from insurgent and violent Islam in Europe, and then then uh, this happening only days after the terrible uh, uh, bombings in Brussels, that you would think that in the press or the American Congress or somewhere, somebody would, as they say, connect the dots. That if, 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 if some part of Radovan Karadzic's uh, understanding of the Islamic threat is not adopted by Western countries, then then the uh, bombing and bombings in Brussels, the attacks, in, all of these things are are going to be seen as first tentative footsteps toward uh, toward a massive European-wide jihad. Uh, unfortunately, if Hillary Clinton is elected in November and. Uh, uh, horrible as it may seem, it it is, uh, and I would say two to one probability. Uh, she will try to discard the Dayton Agreement and to reunify Bosnia uh, on the model of Izetbegovic's initial project. She calls it the unfinished business in the Balkans, and she is fully committed to it. She is committed to it to such an extent that she even invented the story of being uh, exposed to Serbian sniper fire at Tuzla's airport in the spring of 1996, long after the last shots were fired in the Bosnian war. Because uh, for her, it is part of the family legacy, and she believes, uh, and you asked me a few minutes ago whether these people really believe what they're saying. I'm afraid that in her case, we have someone who is truly ideologically committed to Bosnification of Bosnia-Herzegovina, to uh, the abolition of the Republika Srpska, and Karadzic's conviction will actually be used as a political argument to that end, that uh, having verified the genocidal nature of the Bosnian Serb entity, which was created under Dayton, uh, it, the time has now come to correct that injustice, and 21, 22 years later, to abolish Dayton, and to force the Serbs of Bosnia into a unified, uh, nominally secular and non-denominational state in which the Muslims, by virtue of having around 49, almost 50 percent, will, of course, be dominant. So, just as Belgium was for the European Union, is Belgium being a country, a, a, a state without a nation? That is, it's a, a population of different languages, have different cultural traditions, and and, and are at, completely at odds with each other. And the new, the more aggressive, advanced 21st century model for the European Union will be Bosnia. And in which uh, in which Muslims, violent Muslims, will play a dominant role. Already now, we see that uh, uh, they, uh, in in France in particular, to some extent also in Britain, they are an important part of the voting box. 
and that major parties, in particular the Labour Party in Britain and the Socialists in France, are fine-tuning their rhetoric and their policies, hoping to capture that part of the vote. Uh, what, uh, what is also happening in uh, Belgium is that uh, Brussels is not only the capital of this hybrid nation, as you say, but also the capital of the European Union. And it is from Brussels that some of the most ideologically motivated rules concerning battle against Islamophobia, as the European Union calls it, have emanated. So it's ironic that Brussels should be attacked because from Brussels we had EU directives that, for instance, discussing the Quran or discussing the career of the Prophet of Islam in uh, no-nonsense terms uh, should be verboten. That the claim that Islam is both an ideology and religion is a form of hate speech which must be criminalized. So uh, we are already, as you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, we have this writing on the wall. And all of the key elements of the narrative are in place. Swedish integration minister some years ago said, uh, we need to be kind to the Muslims now so that they will be tolerant of us when they become a, ma uh, a majority. It is unbelievable for a government minister of a European nation to talk about a future date when the Muslims will uh, inevitably become majority. This is an advanced form of self-hating psychopathology, which is unfortunately the norm in most of the European Union. And I must say once again that it is only east of the former Iron Curtain that we see some degree of normalcy in the public discourse. Yes, it, it's a it's a grim spectacle. And uh, and by the way, analyzed 40 years ago by Respai, who didn't simply predict a third world invasion, inundate what was left of civilization in Europe. But he also predicted that the media and the and the politicians and the intellect would all uh, defend the invasion and to prevent any kind of organized resistance. That it would only be a few exceptions in in France and in you know in the in the house at the end when the world has been taken over by these people. Uh, there's what there's an Indian tiger hunter. There's a there's a French, a French procurer of women, there's a professor, I mean, a complete, it's, it's a combination of misfits. And today, the only people who resist sometimes seems uh, people who don't fit in, uh, they, who didn't go to an Ivy League university. It is still possible, at least I would say in Europe, it is conceivable that uh, the spirit of resistance will calcify itself, will uh, be reasserted in France, perhaps in, in Britain with uh, increasing Euroscepticism. And the same people who are Eurosceptic are also uh, not reconciled to gradual disappearance of their societies succumbing to Muslim invasion. However, I don't see that happening in the United States unless there is a major uh, economic collapse, 
which would force people no longer to look at government as a solution, but as part of the problem. Uh, I seem to remember many years ago, I think it was in 2003, I mentioned this at uh, uh, at the Rockwood Institute's event in New Orleans, and uh, today, 13 years later, I still believe that uh, our only chance for a fundamental re-examination of uh, ideological basis of the postmodern Western society would be a rapid and deep economic crisis, which would force people to rediscover the value of real communities and identity. Well, then we should be first grateful to Barack Obama for doing everything he can to destroy the American economy and then uh, go out and work for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> the problem is that if this process is not rapid, then people will again start looking at uh, Washington as the source of solution and the source of salvation. Yes, and you you see that even even over the past 10 years when things have been uh, going to pot in, in America, that still uh, many, many working class people, many People will brag about voting for Obama and that, that uh, they've been given advantages, they've been given, uh, you know, very programs, whereas we, we know, as a matter of fact, that most of the money that has been spent by the government on economic recovery has gone to cronies of the Democratic Party, and, almost, and, uh, and only the smallest fraction has actually gone to alleviate uh, the loss of and the, uh, the decline of the workforce. So... It seems that uh, they they will they are prepared. E- each generation of Americans is more servile than the last, more more willing to accept uh, being uh, being subjugated. Uh, there is one ray of hope, and uh, again, uh, ironically, so uh, it is the Chinese who, if and when they bring. American Treasury bills to the world financial markets, we will see a rapid collapse of the dollar. And unless the dollar is a reserve currency of the world, uh, the project of global empire can no longer be sustained. Now, the Chinese uh, will not do it in the near future. But if there is a serious crisis concerning uh, the Chinese attempt to break uh, the shackles of the island chain, and in particular to project power into the South China Sea. And if there is a crisis over reunification with Taiwan, I have no doubt that they will be prepared to do it. Now, if they do it, and they have sufficient uh, treasury bills at their disposal to cause the collapse of the world financial structure, then we will be looking at the scenario which I described early on, the possibility that faced with a rapid collapse of this hocus-pocus economy that we've been living in for decades, that perhaps there will be also social and cultural consequences which may save our societies. Well, it's, uh, it's, some, <laughs> it's something to look forward to, the chaos and ruin. But, um, well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Sergio, as it always is. Is there... Um, Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to hear our listeners? Uh, That I'm to some extent surprised that uh, Muslim terrorists are continuing their campaign because uh, 
things have been looking so good for them over the past year with this explosion of the migrant tsunami. And that uh, if I were a jihadi strategist sitting in Molenbeek in, uh, in Brussels or for that matter in Karachi or, or Jeddah or wherever, I would, I, <laughs> I would advise people to uh, put it off and to let this demographic process take us to their logical conclusions. Because on current form, if this influx continues, and if the higher birth rates continue inside uh, the European community, where we already have an Islamic diaspora which exceeds 20 million people, then they will see uh, the collapse of host societies and the gradual takeover already by the middle of this century. Uh, by doing what they almost can't help themselves doing, they're in fact still leaving at least a slim possibility for the awakening of Europe at the last minute. Yeah, I, 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 that's a point on which I, I, well, I agree with you on so much, but on that, I think it, you're absolutely right. If I were, uh, if I were directing Qaeda and ISIS, I would call the dogs off for a while, and I would ha- show, I would show the world the smiley face of Islam, and uh, a. I, I bring, I trot out a bunch of Sufi gurus to sh- that to prove that we're all that, we're, that their religion is all about love. But uh, for every time they make this argument in the press, then the, these lunatics go out and kill a couple of dozen people. We're so used to it that on Easter Sunday in Pakistan, in Lahore, uh, the, there was an attack on people in a park. And uh, it was uh, apparently generated by the Taliban. They killed something like 65 people, wounded hundreds of others. And they said explicitly it was to get the Christians who were celebrating Easter in the park. This did not even make the Drudge Report because it is too commonplace uh, to to murder Christians in the third world. And And the CNN reports, by the way, on the day of the explosion said that uh, over 60 Pakistanis uh, were killed without even bothering to mention uh, uh, the identity of the victims. Now, we already see the same uh, phenomenon all over the Muslim world, whether it's with Boko Haram's victims and the kidnapping of the girls, or uh, the terror to which the Christians in in both Iraq and Syria have been subjected for years. But uh, the silence about Christian suffering is nothing new. Uh, We've seen it uh, ever since the Bolshevik Revolution, for instance, in uh, 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 the Bien-Pensant, among the Bien-Pensants of Europe between the two world wars, or New York Times correspondents in Moscow who denied both the persecution and the reality of, for instance, the Moscow show trials. So the phenomenon is not new. But uh, uh, the moral bankruptcy and the ideological rigidity, plus the determination to impose totalitarian control, which would prevent dissenting voices from being heard, is something new and something horrifying. Indeed. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, as always. It's been enlightening and a pleasure to listen to you. It was uh, my pleasure. 
All right. Thanks so much, gentlemen. And as always, thanks to our Gold and Charter members of the Fleming Foundation's website who help bring this to you. Foreign Affairs is a production of the Fleming Foundation. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. We look forward to welcoming the doctors next month uh, for any foreign affairs that we may need to do.